This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The art of charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. Welcome to The Art of Charm, the show that eats dessert first. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best minds in the industry to teach you how to crush it in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise and packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We've created one of the premier lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is the show we wish we had a decade ago. The show is about you. We're here to help you become the best you can be in every area of your life. Make sure to stay up to date with everything going on here and get some great content and free stuff that we don't or can't give away on the show by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. And if you're new but you want to know where to begin or find out more about what we teach here at the Art of Charm Live programs here in LA, you can go to the website and we'll email you a starter kit of all the top shows here at the Art of Charm. We'll also send you the fundamentals such as body language, eye contact, vocal tonality, dating, attraction, business, networking, negotiation, relationship management, breakups, and all the stuff we wish we'd learned and mastered years ago. And we have our live programs running every single week here in Los Angeles, California. In fact, we've got guys here this week from Brazil, the U.S., Canada, and the U.K., the international contingent as usual. Details on those at theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp, or give us a call here, or even email me, jordan at theartofcharm.com. I do read everything, and I'm looking forward to meeting you here at AOC. Today we're talking with my friend Todd Herman. He is a he's one of those guys you don't hear about because he doesn't need to advertise. He is a performance coach. He's one of the world's foremost authorities on crafting super high quality performance boosts for everything from Real Madrid, the football team, the NHL, billionaires, the Spanish royal family, which I didn't even know existed, etc. And so this is a really solid app. We're going to talk about getting in the zone when you need to why we are supposed to think negatively and the power of negative thinking and how high performers, real high performers really operate and the power of something called negative reparation. And this episode has a little bit of a solid New York City charm, sirens and noise. So focus on the content, not the sound quality, maybe on this one, at least on his end. But Todd is a very busy guy, a great guy to have on the show. So enjoy. All right, so usually what I do is I have you introduce yourself so that it doesn't sound super cheesy. You coach a lot of high-performance folks. Uh, you, you Tell us about that because, you know, everybody goes, I coach high-performance people, and it's like, eh, no, you don't, but you actually do. So, yeah, so I work with uh, a lot of the highest-performing athletes on in pro sports and Olympic, and Olympic sports, as well as I do some mentoring with amateur athletes, and all that stuff is wrapped around how can their – performance on the field of play match up a lot of times with the performance that they have in practice because a lot of times there's a big discrepancy and some people want to call it potential i think potential is a complete myth it's a crutch that a lot of people who aren't doing things in their life want to lean on to explain out and make themselves feel good about um, the future self that they could have but i care about performance and, you know, how do I help them with that? It's through mental toughness strategies. It's through visualization skills. It's through preparation and planning skills and uh, things like that. But the nature of working with high-performing athletes is you always have type A personalities who are in business and finance and uh, corporate who say, I've got to perform at a high level. And the reality is the difference between working with an athlete and an entrepreneur or something like that is very minimal. There's it's essentially the same thing. It's a person that wants to perform at a higher level. So I work a lot with uh, CEOs here in uh, New York City, lots of entrepreneurs. Um, I've got a couple of lucky enough to have a couple of billionaires as clients and the Spanish royal family as well. Wow. Uh, I didn't even know there was a Spanish royal family. There is a Spanish royal family. They still have the um, sort of the titles back in Spain. Cool. Yeah. Excellent. You can't really hate on that. I mean, you've got and uh, what I mean is he still the king or something? I mean, probably in name. In name, yes. Do they have like powers? Not necessarily, right. no. But they've got uh, land and money. <laughs> yeah, which is actually better than power because with what is it? With great power comes great responsibility. I don't want the responsibility. Yeah, they have none. They have no, no yeah, responsibility. I want no responsibility. <laughs> I just I don't need the power. Just yeah, land and money, and maybe like some horses would be cool. Yeah. So tell tell me about how you do this because you'd mentioned the sort of this concept of alter egos and. 
performance boosts and things like that. Are you saying that, and this kind of makes sense, right, that athletes crush it in practice and then they get out on the field and it sort of breaks down? Is that is that a phenomenon that we're looking at? Yeah, totally we are. Because um, uh, one of the big things that athletes deal with is uh, judgment and criticism. Worrying about what their teammates might think of them. Worrying about what happens if I miss that shot. And the moment that any of our thinking falls into any of those realms, we're taking ourselves out of our zone of focus. So everyone talks about, you know, I need to get into the zone state or how do I get into the flow? And well, I mean, the enemy of the zone, the enemy of the flow is any sort of narrative that's going on inside of your head anyway, or worrying about things that are outside of your control, which have a tendency to be social things, environmental things, you know, what your teammates are thinking of you, what's out of the person doing, um, what some fat guy on an ESPN podcast is going to say if you do X, Y, and Z. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's all of us have every single person that's listening to this right now. Every single one of us has insecurities. I mean, my two billionaire clients, they have insecurities about themselves as well. Um, they're just far better at sort of not giving a shit um, than, you know, the average person does. But I care about how can I get a person performing to their highest level so that their well, so that their performance actually matches up with all the time and energy that they've invested into their skills consistently. The fastest way to get that to happen for people I discovered is helping them craft an alter ego. So instead of Jordan Harbinger taking himself on the field of play, which is what most people do, most people take themselves onto the field of play, which is a huge mistake because now you're taking all of your insecurities, all the things that you typically would worry about um, in the context of your social life. And that doesn't ever help with performance. I want to create something or someone that's different, that doesn't ever even need to think those thoughts of worrying about what someone else is thinking of them. And so we take that inspiration from superheroes. We take those inspirations from the animal world. We take those inspirations from movies, from television, from books, from just the imagination, from even just people that are in your personal life as well. Um, one of my clients, it just, she has the, uh, has a grandma or had a grandma that had just an iron wheel backbone. Now, my client never really thought of herself as having this thing. So we take that little bit out of her and then we attach on some other things and we compile this alter ego. And then the key thing with this is now that we've constructed this alter ego, and am I giving the entire long process? Of course not. It would take, we would be here for a a lot, a long time. But the key with this is now we have to actually wear something. We need to have a totem. We need to have an artifact that when we put it on, that is the triggering mechanism to us embodying that alter ego. So whether it's a sweat, a wristband, whether it's a sweatband around your head, it could be a ring. Um, most sports usually don't allow for jewelry, but um, some do. Uh, one of my clients, she has a specially handcrafted um, uh, bracelet that she has on. It could be just the way that you tie and cinch up your laces or the way that you put on your socks. Um, Bo Jackson, who most people know, uh, Bo Jackson, uh, NFL running back, also played Major League Baseball, the only athlete ever to be on the all-star team for in you know one of the four major, five major sports in America. Only one to have been all-star in two different sports, both baseball and football. He had an alter ego. And I know Bo, and we were talking at a uh, conference once backstage, and uh, we got talking about this stuff. And as soon as I brought it up, he just like, just the gusher came out of him because he's no one, no one's kind of talked to him about this stuff. And he said, yeah, Bo Jackson has never played a down of football in his entire life. Wait, did, like, he, did he say that in the third person? Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he did because he was referring to himself as like, it was cause Bo Jackson, the, cause Bo Jackson is one of the nicest. He's such a sweetheart of a man. Um, and he said, is like, if, if I took Bo Jackson onto the field of play, um, I would be run over because I don't want to hurt people. That's just, that's the, it's me. And, <laughs> that's me. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Um, but he said he was inspired when he was watching a horror movie once by Jason from Friday the 13th. He's like, well, there's a person who just doesn't care. So he said, every single time I went on the field of play, um, I was Jason from Friday the 13th and he had a triggering mes- mechanism that when he came out of the tunnel and when his foot hit the field of play, so hit the base of the grass or the turf, he stepped on it very deliberately, right heel to toe. And he imagined Jason just lives on the field 
And as soon as he did, a blue shock or a blue lightning bolt would surge up through his foot and you would see it happening. And that's when Jason would enter him. He's like, that's why if you see like, you know, video cameras on him when he's on the sidelines, I mean, he, none of his teammates are talking to him because he's like, I'm not a nice person when I'm on the sidelines. Um, but the moment that I step off the field, now I'm back to being Bo again, but it allowed him. He's like, I know you talk about goals, Todd, and things like that, but I had one mission when I was out there and that was to destroy and maim anything and anyone that got in my way. Would the real Bo Jackson want to do that? Of course not. But his alter ego did. Now that allowed him to destroy Brian Bosworth on the line of basically on the goal line against that. It's the famous, um, hit where Bo Jackson and Brian Bosworth, a beast of a linebacker met and Bo Jackson bowled them over and went into the, right into the, uh, end zone for a touchdown. So, but we can use these things for business purposes as well. Yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, I don't necessarily do this consciously, although I put on very large studio headphones when I record the show. And mm -hmm. I go over to my desk and I've got like my microphone that no one else is allowed to use, partially because it's calibrated to me, but you know, partially because it's like, it's my microphone. It's got my mount, my filter. And I don't do stuff like, like my girlfriend will be like, hey, can you do this guest spot? Uh, on your mobile thing or can you do this this way and I'm like no because if I'm not doing certain things my way it's like I'm not really there I've tried it before it's not as good it doesn't come out as well and mm -hmm. some of that's environment but I think you know what you're kind of saying is you construct the environment yes yeah in this world it's your world everyone else is just living in it and and I mean the reason that no one's gonna be talking about this in an interview is I mean just socially the whole construct of how people judge other people, I mean, it's not going to be something that's acceptable because in your own head, you're building up such a fantastic story of who you are and what you can achieve that if you verbalized it to other people, they would just, they would call you arrogant. They would call you egotistical and all this kind of stuff. Here's the reality. Some of the greatest athletes of all time, the way that they think of themselves is fantastically arrogant, fantastically egotistical. That's the thing that makes them better at achieving in the moment than other people. I'm pretty sure like no one is surprised by the fact that athletes think of themselves in an arrogant way, but it, you have to do it even when you're not one is what you're saying, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, you got to think about, well, I'm talking about in the field. So does this person think of them, think of themselves this way when they're hanging out with their family? No, and they get into trouble when they do. When you don't create this like nice, clear line of delineation between this is me in the moment of performance. And even for you right now, this is your moment of performance because this is Jordan's thing. He's a phenomenal podcaster, interviewer. And, but if you took your same approach to just social interactions, it would seem a little bit stunted um, with just interactions. So we need to, this is the, this is the safety net of having alter egos is it prevents us from being the same thing no matter where we go. Cause people would ask, why can't you always be in the zone? Like, shouldn't you always be in the <laughs> zone? Wouldn't that be great? And there's obvious, well, let me ask you this. Why can't, you know, why can't I just wear my DJ headphones everywhere? Why can't Bo or whatever, just wear his ring or whatever it is everywhere? And also, there's an awesome joke in here somewhere about Bo Nose Todd Herman that I just can't <laughs> quite wrap and deliver. You remember those commercials? Oh, of course I do. Yeah. They're fantastic. It was like Bo Nose Baseball. And then they had, he had that little LCD Tiger electronic game, which was baseball on one side and football on the other side. Yeah. Uh, but why can't you just stay in the zone all the time? I mean, it, it seems obvious like, oh, you'll burn out or something. But is it because the zone is a, is is special in you have to go in and out at certain times you can't just be in flow all the time i mean what's the deal there well there's cer only certain things that um we're meant to be in this quote-unquote in the zone for and that's usually our zone of genius the thing that we're you know we've devoted a long period of our time in doing you know children for the most part are in the zone a lot of time because they are so wrapped up in the moment in the process of just playing with the blocks and studying the blocks and seeing this thing for the first time and touching it and feeling it. They're just so wrapped up in the moment that they're actually more cognitively in the zone um, for a long period of time. But because of the way that our society is and the way that we need to interact with the world around us, if we were lost in the zone all the time, we'd end up getting run over by a car a lot of times um, because we're just, 
sort of clueless as to many of the things that are going on around us. Um, we're not meant to be in the zone all the time. What we want to try to do is when we're actually creating the thing that we're paid to create, you know, if you're a painter, I mean, that's the thing that I care about. So the thing that you're meant to be doing, how can I help you facilitate getting into the zone and flow state? Because the moment that you get in there and you stay in there for long periods of time, there is just phenomenal genius that pours out of you because that's when all of your competencies, all of your skills align with your creative genius. And I mean, just from a, also just from like a physical point of view, when we're actually in the zone state, cause many people have this experience and, um, athletes will say, it just seemed like the world slowed down around me. And that's because at a physiological level, um, our eyes, our eyes, we don't see with our eyes. We take in visual information with our eyes and then we see with the visual cortex in the back of our head. So what happens with our eyes is, um, and the easiest analogy is you can take a camera from an iPhone and you can take a DSLR camera and just like you can hold down a DSLR camera, it's going to take, you know, hundreds of super clear photos in just a matter of seconds and an iPhone, you got to keep on tapping it and tapping it and tapping it. Well, the eyes work that way when they're in the zone state, they actually start flickering at about three times the rate of speed. And because our brain is built to completely adjust to whatever information is coming into it. So if we're taking up three times the information, it will actually process that information three times faster, which will then send a signal physiologically to our arms and um, legs to respond that much quicker. So it just, we get these slight improvements percentage wise in our reaction time. So that's why we can see a play happening faster than we did before. It's not that the world is slowing down, but we're experiencing it in our head quicker. Huh. Okay. And do you know, I mean, there's brain science behind that, that you probably know that we probably should not necessarily get into. I mean, teaching this stuff to billionaires and executives and Royal family folks, I mean, what do they hope to, what, why, why do the Royal family members need to be in the zone? Uh, but I guess everybody wants to be there, right? Everybody wants well, to be. I mean, some people have been, you know, spoon fed this bullshit about, hey, you got to be happy. That life's about finding happiness. And I don't agree with that because, I mean, there's some people that are just fundamentally not built on this planet to be very, very happy people. Um, you know, high performing people have a tendency to battle depression. And so if we're trying to optimize a person who's fundamentally sort of depressed all the time. Um, and I mean, it's, it's not that they're like super negative or anything like that. It's just that there are fish that can live at the very bottom of the ocean because they can handle the pressure down there. There are fish that live at the top of the ocean where it's sunny and it's bright and, you know, higher oxygen content. But the, that fish cannot dive deep because if it goes deep, it will die. Just like those high pressure fish at the bottom, if they come up to the surface, they die. Entrepreneurs, high achieving, high performing people they can handle the pressure better at the bottom. And so people call, call that, oh, that person's depressed. No, it's just that you can deal with pressure better. Huh. Okay, interesting. Yeah. I, I think and that's so, I mean, true. When I'm taking a look at how can I help, so when I'm working with uh, billionaires or if I'm looking, working with yourself, I'm taking a look at what are the three most important skills or competencies that really move the needle on what it is that you do. And then we focus on optimizing, improving, and focusing on those areas. And I mean, a great example is one of my clients that works for Cisco Systems, uh, the big technology company. And we started working together and he was already a very, a very good, um, uh, we call, we'll call him a salesperson. He's more of a product manager, but he interfaces with the clients and you know sells them on the product. And within three months, he broke the all-time Cisco sales record in the month of February for moving technology product in the month that is typically the slowest sales month in any technology company. February is always the slowest month. And he did it within three months, all because we eliminated all these other things off of his plate that really don't move the needle that he was working on or filling up his days with. When you start working a lot more on your competencies, your skills, the things that you typically really like to do, um, boy, do you ever see a market improvement in your ability to get into the zone, to be more consistent in your day, to start performing at a higher level as well. Um, this makes sense because if you're constantly distracting yourself with like, Oh, I've got to go to the post office. Oh, you know what? Um, I want to clean up this room cause it's a little messy. Oh, you know what? I've got to make a quick phone call instead of my assistant 
mm-hmm. you know, my days that I have like that are just, they're just crap. You yeah. know, like I, I'm doing a bunch of stuff that I feel kind of like, this isn't something I need to be doing. Anybody else can do this. Not like I don't need to clean my room because I'm so important, but it's just like a waste of time. There's no creative energy flowing at all. It's like just a routine task. Like why am I shuttling a check to the bank? You know, yeah. it's stuff and, and, like that. And in fact, there's other people that are out there who love doing that stuff and they get joy out of it. They get joy out of serving people who are quote unquote performing at a higher level. And yet they are great support structures to have around you. Yeah. Um, it's also crucial. And, people think, oh, my assistant, I'm not going to pay that person more than 10, 15 bucks an hour. And it's like, no, you need someone who's an all-star at not letting garbage interrupt your workflow. That's an actual skill. Yeah. Well, I have a client here in New York City who their executive assistant makes two and a half million dollars a year. So the idea that assistants can't make a lot of money, that's completely obtuse yeah. because that person performs at a high level to another company. They might be a COO um, or something like that, but they they're a fantastic um, insulator to that executive from stuff getting into his day that shouldn't be there. Right. And of course, that executive's time is worth Exactly. You know, $25 million or more, probably more, $100 million a year. So if he's losing a day or two each month, farting around doing stupid crap or handling a problem that should never have been caused in the first place, then it actually becomes cheaper to pay someone $2.5 million a year to make sure that never happens. Yeah. Lennon and McCartney, Jagger and Richards, Watson and Crick, AJ and Johnny. What about the perfect duo when it comes to growing your business? Well, that's you and Shopify. That's right, Johnny. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling your own fire merch or promoting your productivity programs. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort, thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, as well as millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. And AJ, you don't have to just sell your stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from the brands that you love, giving your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no-excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash charm. Go to shopify.com slash charm now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash charm. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, because they're all going to give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, 
the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash charm. Just go to Indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now, back to the show. I know that at Art of Charm, and again, you know, not that I'm operating at the billion-dollar level quite yet, but if I found somebody who could be an extension of me and do a lot of the stuff that I'm doing, maybe even just half of it, that person would be worth a massive six-figure sum. And now I'm going to get 100 emails from people who think they can do that. But it would have to be somebody (laughs) who's really good at, like, more than half of the skills that I'm also very good at and practiced over the years. And that person would be extremely valuable because it's like the closest thing you can find to kind of a clone of yourself inside the business. Sure. And I mean, in your, in your world, it's, it's contacts and relationships as well. Like, man, like I don't want to be bringing people onto this show. That's kind of, that have kind of gone and done the, the podcasting rounds and get regurgitated out over and over and over again. How can I find really interesting people that are doing things that'll really provide a lot of value for the listeners that I have on here that are going to make them possibly think in a different way? You know, when you can get people to open up their minds to a new possibility or to maybe drop an old possibility or old way of thinking that everyone else has accepted as some sort of truth, that's super valuable. There's no way that you can place a price tag on it because you don't know all the dominoes it's going to drop in that person's life. Exactly. Yeah. Excellent. Man, you've won some serious awards. Do You got an award for wisdom and leadership by the Indonesian government. That is random. <laughs> well, I was I was over there doing a bunch of work with them on, you know, I was developing a uh, building out a leadership and competency development program for um a division of their government and working with them and they're I don't know if people have had a chance to travel to Indonesia or work with them, but they're some of the kindest people on the planet. I mean, I've worked in 82 countries, like actually worked inside them, not like talk to some dude on Skype that's in Russia. And then all of a sudden started saying, I worked with someone or work in Russia. No, I've been there, worked in Kazakhstan, worked in Nigeria, but uh, people in Indonesia are just some of the nicest people. And, um, yeah, they gave me this award called the Rama award and Rama is a, um, old, uh, King who was renowned for wisdom and leadership. And so they gave me this beautiful, uh, beautifully designed, uh, marionette puppet to, uh, sort of, it wasn't like a trophy. It was a marionette puppet in this beautiful case. And yeah, it was, a, it was a great experience. That's kind of a badass award because a trophy or a plaque, you know, it's so fungible. But yeah. Like a marionette, <laughs> people are going to be like, what the hell is that thing on your mantle? Let yeah, me tell you exactly, a little story exactly, about exactly. Indonesia. Yeah. Interesting. There's a lot of a positive effects, obviously that come with this. What, what about things like toughness that you hear about is almost like a cliche, like mental toughness, you know, get in the zone, mm-hmm. high performance. Is it, do high performers handle, you sort of touched on this earlier, do high performers handle setbacks and stress better? It sounds like, because everybody I know has a ton of stress, right? But mm-hmm. the entrepreneurs I know, they obviously they have more things happening that are stressful. In theory, they just don't allow it to stress them out. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, totally. Well, I think probably the biggest myth, yeah, myth that I think that has been imposed on today's society, and a lot of that has come from the personal development self-help world, is this idea of um, positive thinking that um, really, you know, I work with high-performing people and they are just really good positive thinkers. I call bullshit on all that. I mean, I know these people. I work with them and I'm like deeply crawling inside of the recesses of their heads. They are not positive thinkers at all. They are positive expectors. They expect positive things, but they think negatively. And, um, I know you and I, when we had first met, I was talking about the principle of the, uh, the positive power of negative preparation, uh, something that I work with, uh, my clients on. And they come, some of them come by it very naturally, but they are not afraid to think negatively, you know, about the risks, about the threats, about the weaknesses in themselves, in their product, if it was a business, um, and take a look at, well, how can I mitigate that? How can I reduce it? If this thing doesn't work out, what's the best way to respond if 
this thing blows up in my face. When you prepare yourself mentally, that is what mental toughness is. Mental toughness is the ability to react in a positive way to a negative challenge, outcome, or setback. Because if you think that the world is going to come at you really hard when you start trying to do big things, you are living a delusional world, which is why these people who subscribe to all this positive thinking stuff end up washing out so quickly. Yeah, because it's 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 all, you know, do what you need to do and the universe will provide while <laughs> failing to realize that the universe, frankly, doesn't give a shit about you. Totally. Um, or how about, why don't you do this? I'm going to go impose myself on the universe because that is truly the attitude of people who are doing very big things. I'm going to go impose myself. I'm going to impose my will and my vision onto this market or this sport or this the, you know, theater stage. Cause I've worked with people in Hollywood and in on Broadway, I live here in New York city. So you get sought out by all different industry types, but yeah. So think it's okay to think negatively and trying to reduce that in yourself. I mean, you're, you're, you're literally trying to reduce away something that is a, a huge benefit to you. And then people wonder why they just, Oh man, I've been doing this self-help stuff for so long. And I, I just can't seem to change myself. Well, you're fundamentally trying to change something that you shouldn't be changing. We're supposed to think negatively. Humans are built for that. Huh, but we don't need to, and, and why I say that is because the, the best metaphor I can use with people, if you're a type of person that, you know, really does actually battle, and I'm not, I'm not um, prescribing that you're supposed to be, de- you're supposed to be a depressed individual, not by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but if you're the type of person who does battle with some sort of negative thinking, here's, you just have a, you're having an issue with the entanglement of the thought. And the best way to think about this is your mind is like the sky and each individual thought that passes through your head is just simply a cloud. That's like a very, that's a very Zen type of concept. <laughs> well, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, a lot of that stuff when I work with people on mental toughness, especially in athletics is, um, I mean, meditation is a huge practice that we have because meditation is the, is the physical doing part of trying to relax and calm the cognitive side of our brain, you know, the frontal lobe where all of this activity happens, you know? So if someone comes to me and says, Todd, I really need to learn how to relax and stay concentrating in the moment when I'm on the court, can you give me something right now? Well, it's because you're not going into the gym mentally. Here's how we go into the gym mentally, learn to meditate and be okay with the activity that's going on inside of your head and not getting entangled in these individual thoughts for 20 minutes a day. And if you can't get to 20 minutes a day, let's start with two minutes proven. It is scientifically proven that if you just spend two minutes a day quietly sitting with your thoughts, that you will see a market improvement in your uh, reduction in blood pressure goes down as well. So start with two minutes. If you, if you can do two minutes, I bet you could do three minutes. And if you can do three, you could possibly dial it up to four minutes. Yeah. The positive thinking thing is really extreme. I, I actually had a coach a long time ago and he was a, he's a good enough guy, but one of the things, he was really big on positive thinking and like, oh, you should never worry because worrying, and I like this concept in theory, worrying is expecting or catastrophizing about the, the negative consequences that could happen. What if you, I guess, fantasized is a word he didn't use, but what it really is about the positive consequences that could happen instead of worrying. Like, what if mm-hmm. you worried that everything worked out really great? And it's a yeah. great comforting sort of thought exercise if you find yourself wrapped up in worry, which, you know, maybe I was at the time. Yeah. Uh, but I cannot help but notice that the reason that he's his business actually failed, he had another business because he overinvested in a bunch of BS real estate deals that mm-hmm. fell through. And I was thinking, would a little worry have maybe caused you to go, yeah, I should save some money so that in case this doesn't work out, I'm not totally screwed. And he didn't do that. Yeah. 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 It's taking, I mean, um, I was just at an event and, um, Damon John, one of the gentlemen from uh, shark tank, uh, great guy. He's got such a fantastic backstory, but, uh, he always talks about in business taking affordable risks and, you know, so what's a risk that you can take that's affordable. You know, there's a lot of people out there like, man, you got to burn all your bridges, man. You got to put everything into this. Um, you got to take, it's just one shot. No, that's, that's, that's trying to prescribe that there's only one way to success and success is like the center of town. There's a lot of streets and avenues to get there. There is no one prescribed way. I mean, I, I don't try to go out there and stand on a pulpit and tell people, no, this is the only way that you can do it. No, I say, you know, here are some foundational fundamental things but you can get there many different ways. Are there a lot of people who achieve success and they are just, they only think positively? 
there's probably a few out there, but I'll bet that they're really okay with sitting and thinking about risks and threats and things like that, because you can't get to the top without knowing how to mitigate that stuff. Yeah, it makes sense to me. I think a lot of folks, what they don't really do slash understand is affordable risks. People are like, well, I can't afford to do this. I can't afford to come to your program. I can't afford that. It's You can afford to do more. People let fear get in the way. They just don't actually make the calculations. Yeah, right? They think, yeah. ah, I can never do this. I could never do that. Truth is, they could do it. They're just deciding not to out of fear. There's a difference between that and what you can actually afford to do. Like, could I afford back in the day to quit my job on Wall Street and focus only on the art of charm? Yes, I had a ton of money in the bank. If it didn't work out, I had places where I could go. I wasn't going to be stuck in a lease. I could have always gotten another job in theory. I would have been okay. Mm-hmm. Can you afford to burn your life savings coming up with the pocket widget, double mortgage your house, and then hope that Shark Tank provides an investment that saves you from utter bankruptcy? No, not really. You shouldn't do that. That's not a good risk. Yeah. There's always other resources that people have that they don't even recognize as resources. Uh, I reached out to an old mentor of mine. He was, when I first got into this field of uh, working with athletes, and uh, he wrote a book on coaching called Coaching the Mental Game, and phenomenal guy. I went down and I reached out to him. He was really big in the major leagues of baseball, um, sort of like a Yoda type figure to, to many athletes and reached out to him and said, you know, I would, what, what are you, what projects are you working on right now? I would love to come down and just, you know, help you out. If you need help with research, if you need, you know, any hands on hands on deck, I, you know, free of charge, I just want to be around you. Um, and he was a little bit, Okay, well, what's what's your end game with this? Well, I started out, you know, doing what you're doing, but I recognize that you're just so much further down the path than me. I could probably get a lot out of just being around you. And I'm not asking him for anything free. I'm not going down there saying, "Hey, can you give me? Can you teach me how to do this?" I figured that just by osmosis and environmental, I would, you know, get some good nuggets of gold. So he ended up saying, "Yeah, he actually was asking me, well, who are you going to stay with when you're down there?" And you got to remember, I had Jordan, I had no money whatsoever to do this, none. Um, to get there, I barely have enough money to feed myself and then get myself back home to Canada, where I'm originally from. You know, and he's down in the Carolinas. So um, I rented out a uh, small little crappy room at a Motel 6, and I'd make my way to his house. And he, I told him that I was staying with an aunt and uncle that were down there. That was the only way that he, would, that he agreed was because I said I got family down there. Because he just didn't want some random kid that was <laughs> a random young person that was, um, you know, traveling up the countryside, you know, on their own. Um, and that was how I, that was a huge start for me because he opened up a few doors. He sent me a couple of clients. So how do we start to do this negative pep- preparation that you mentioned? I mean, how is it different from just straight up worrying and yeah. is there a structured way to do it that's positive? Because I, I can see people going, I worry all the time. It's never really done me any good. Yeah, but worrying, worrying is seeing things through to no conclusion. Worrying is just staying lost in the negativity and not using the positive power of it. And so, um, okay, well, that's, well, thanks for saying that, Todd, but how do I actually do that? Well, think it through then. It's if this, then that. It's an if this, then rule. Um, if, if this happens. So I'm worried about this. Well, what's the root of that? Where's this worry coming from? Worry is coming from the fact that if I did this, then all my family is going to laugh at me for starting a business and failing at it. Well, is that true? Is that statement really true? Is everyone going to be laughing at your face? Let's say that that is a statement of truth. So what's the most powerful way that you could respond to that? What's the most positive way that you could pull yourself out of that circumstantial situation? Think it through. What could you say to those people? Maybe you don't say anything. Or maybe you have another tribe that's around you that's not just your family that you're looking for approval from that says, Jordan, awesome. You got some great education in how to not do something possibly. Or maybe this is just the um, precipitating thing that's going to launch you into another business. Is there any sort of nuggets of gold? Like did the entire business fail? Did the entire product fail? Is there some sort of information in there of maybe the market just wanted something a little bit slightly different than what you offered them. Hmm. I'm not too sure. Like thinking things through, not there. You're going to learn way more from the mistakes anyway. And so I want to surround myself with people who are not afraid to make a lot of mistakes. Right. So you can actually 
you can change your circumstances via that negative preparation as opposed to just like freaking out about what might be. You can say, oh, okay, well, instead of going to my family and being like, I'm doing this big thing, you can find a better tribe or more positive circumstances first and then take it from there. And then if your family's like, that's a dumb idea, you're like, ah, I already talked to a bunch of people that know better. Thanks yeah. for your input. Or, you know, maybe you should just start to recognize that some of the best thinkers and creators of all time, people told them all along that their ideas were crap. Uh, Walt Disney, uh, in his autobiography, always, uh, he said that whenever he would go into a meeting and he would uh, present some sort of creative direction to his advisors, which were lawyers, accountants, bean counters around the table. And if all of them nodded their head in agreement and said, that is a great idea, he would walk out of that room and he would scuttle it immediately because it made too much logical sense to people who are not naturally built to create things. If he walked into the room and they all said, this is a terrible idea, this will never work, he knew that he was onto something. Huh, interesting. Okay. That is, that is an incredibly mentally tough individual. Like he, he took a situation and he created a completely different lens around it that would, in other people, would completely hamstring them. It would totally tie themselves up in self-doubt, whereas he turned it around and said, that's empowering. It's just a different lens. It's a different way of looking at things. Gotcha. Yeah, I can, I can see that. I, and I can see where having a different lens of looking at things is massively important. I mean, you have to do that. People are always going to try to convince you that their way of looking at things is correct, either consciously or unconsciously. Mm -hmm. you know, your parents are doing that. When you're, oh, I want to start this business. It's a great idea. I, I've mentioned this before on the show, but a lot of people try to do it to protect you. You know, I, my mom even now says things like, well, don't get too excited in case it doesn't work out. And it's like, <laughs> okay. Thanks. You know, I'm pretty sure that this will work out. It's so far, it's been doing really well. And she kind of, I think she knows it's kind of silly, but you know, she's, she just doesn't want me to get disappointed. And then of course there's other people who are like, you think getting an article in Esquire is going to do you any good? Yeah, right, man. You suck. You're a fraud just waiting to be found out. I mean, nobody says that to yeah. me, but there, there's a lot of people that think it. I'm absolutely sure of that. And I mean, that whole fraud thing, it's a good thing that you brought that up because that is, that is a huge thing that people battle with. Um, that whole, I'm going to be found out. It is a psychological phenomenon that pretty much 98% of humanity deals with. It is, it is. And I mean, I know this from crawling inside of people's heads and, you know, even talking to random people on flights going overseas, when you're flying in first class with other people that are, you know, usually business executives and they find out what you do immediately, they dump out your, their life story onto you. That whole idea of being found out as being, a, of being a fraud, that's a natural part of the progression of doing things that are, you know, above the norm. You know, who am I? Who, who am I to think that I can go out there and serve these people? Or who, who am I to think that I'm just as good as that person? Who are you not? Why can't you be? Do you, what about the way that you personally like live and work and operate? I mean, I know that you kind of do this two week sprint thing. Tell us about mm -hmm. that. Cause that's interesting. And I've, I've never, I don't know anyone else that does this. Yeah. So this idea of a uh, two week sprints just comes out of when we're taking a look at trying to, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, we're working on goals constantly with uh, clients, but there's also this subset of habits and behaviors that are going to obviously support that goal going forward. And one of the biggest mistakes people make when they're, everyone's heard the whole, you got to set goals. No one will ever deny the importance of setting a goal. And yet people will still resist setting them. And a lot of it's because it's a reminder, just even talking about goals is a reminder of past failures to many people or the way or that they've never, they, ha, they never did achieve the quote unquote goal that they had. And I would probably argue with someone, well, you never really had the goal. You had a dream about it. You never really put any sort of legs underneath it and work towards it. But people have been told you got to set five-year goals. You got to have a three-year goal. Hey, you got to dude, you got to set your one-year goals, 2015. And you know, just turned over on the calendar. You got to have your 2015 goals. And I'm telling everybody right now, do not ever set a goal beyond 90 days ever again. Anything beyond that is a vision, especially today. Today, the world moves way too fast um, and things shift too quickly, especially in the concept, context of business. You should set a 90-day goal. And why 90 days? Because 90 days is about, is about the horizon line to the mind. That's about as far out as the mind can think of achieving something and being really motivated about its achievement because it's going to make an immediate impact on today. Say so like from now until 90 days, 
that's that's almost a today type thing to the mind. So, man, 90 days from now, if I actually could double my income, people can see that. They can almost touch it, taste it, feel it, smell it. Um, and so 90 days to the mind, it is. It's like they can, they can see it from achieving it. Six months gets pretty blurry out there. One year, way too foggy for the mind to get really motivated for it. And then, okay, so if I set a 90-day goal for myself, then what we do is we go, okay, well, what are some two-week micro goals that I could set for myself? Because a really big, important part of this process for change, because change is really hard, that's why it's worth it, is feedback loops. We want to try and get close, get and close feedback loops as quickly as possible. Because when you're closing feedback loops rapidly, you're seeing improvement, you're measuring things. You're getting data really quickly. Oh, that worked. That didn't work. Oh, this is working really, really well. I'm going to continue to do that. Well, I'm glad I found out. I set this little micro goal and realized that this is just a dead end. It's better to set that now than set a one-year goal of going after, you know, becoming a professional speaker or something like that and realizing that, you know what? I'm actually, speaking isn't my thing. Writing is. I'm a great writer. I don't like getting on stage. Um, And so these two-week sprints we get, we kind of hack away at people's performances and then they get this success stacked on top of each other. What I'm thinking about constantly is how can I place little poker chips in front of Jordan? If you're a client, how can we get poker chips stacking up in front of you? The way we do that is two week sprints because I know that 90 days from now, when you have this big stack of poker chips in front of you, and if you think of, I'm thinking of poker chips as if they're confidence chips. If you're, if you have all these confidence chips, sitting in front of you, you're going to play a lot bigger at the table of life. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to kajabi.com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Back to more with Todd Herman. I think a lot of people do these, you always hear about this, right? Like 90 day goals. And then you hear like year goals, three year goals, five year goals. And I'm like five years. I know when I think of five years, you know, and I always thought I was weird. Cause I'm like, I don't know, kids question mark, you know, like that's all <laughs> I got. That's literally, that's all I got. I don't think like art of charm making $80 million annual net profit. Like I don't care about that because to me, that's kind of a circle jerk. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that that target is going to be either impossibly far away at whatever time I decide to sort of revisit it or like, Oh, that's all I thought I was going to get at that point. That's weird. I mean, there's almost no reason to, in my mind to plan that far ahead and one year goals. Yeah. Like I sort of have this nebulous thing like, all right, this software thing that we're doing is going to be done. We're going to be, you know, have handled these problems in the app, but that could happen in Q2. Yeah. It's just like, it's not like in 365 days from now, this is going to happen. It's like at some point, these four major projects need to have been, you know, sawn out, seen out to completion. But if I don't hit those goals and there's a reason, it's not because like, oh, I forgot to work on this massive project. I guess I failed at my goal. It's like we change targets anyway. But yeah, over the next 90 days, there's immediate 
even even shorter than that, immediate stuff that we're doing. In the next 30 days, there's things that are like, this month, this is getting handled. If it doesn't, we need to figure out why because we made mistakes that are correctable. Not like, oh, I missed the target, but it's okay. I only have one kid instead of two. Five-year goal <laughs> achieved. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and what I'm trying to do with people is I want to get things completed and done so they're working for you in your life or if you're a business person, working for you inside your business. What's the point of going out and, you know, the art of charm trying to build out four software platforms? They're all great ideas and I'm sure they are. But why not get one working for you inside your business, delivering results to you, and then go on to the next thing? Let's finish things. Entrepreneurs typically horrible finishers, fantastic at starting stuff, yes. horrible at finishing them. Yes, very, very notoriously true. Uh, yeah. I can't even tell you how many. And, and do you think there's a correlation between the entrepreneurs that do finish stuff and the ones that don't in terms of their success? Because I've noticed a lot of entrepreneurial people kind of bordering between entrepreneurial and not so successful entrepreneurs are these guys who are like, I'm going to make a new blog forum. I'm going to make this, I'm going to make a product, I'm going to write a book, I'm going to do this travel company. And you're just like, dude, you never do anything. Yeah. And they don't make yeah. any money. They live in a friggin', you know, they, they live in a tent. Yeah. Um, and that's their thing. And it's like, look, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm successful because I have a lot of free time. And I'm like, but you haven't built anything. Yeah. Like nothing. That's kind of the definition of an entrepreneur, someone who's actually built something. Just because you have the desire to go and start a business, that doesn't make a person an entrepreneur. And I mean, who cares what? I mean, everyone wants to romanticize out what an entrepreneur is anyway, as if entrepreneurs are better than people who work inside of businesses. You know, that's it's so obtuse. And I've seen this from stages from people who are trying to sell other people on the value of being an entrepreneur, how, oh, you're working for the man and you know, stop doing that. And it's so much more nobler to go out and be an entrepreneur. Really? Because your mom and dad might actually be working inside of a business somewhere else. And here's the reality. Entrepreneurs need finishers. Finishers are typically the ones who will raise their hand and say, yeah, no, I'd love to become a team member on your team. I need that because I'm, I'm not a non-finisher, but I am one of those people who's like, we should totally do this. And then I start working on it and I'm like, yeah. oh, and then this other thing would be really awesome. And I, I tend to overwork myself because I am a finisher. So I'll finish a ton of stuff. And it, it takes some of my partners to be like, you don't need to finish that. It's not even working and we all know it. And I'm like, yeah. I know it's not working, but I started, it's like eating all the food on my plate, even though I'm like, I hate rice and I'm just yeah. shoveling it into my face. <laughs> Because it's there and I was raised to finish my food. It's like the same thing. I don't know which one's worse. Finishing something that's a huge waste of time or never finishing anything regardless of whether it's good for you or not. It's probably equally equally crap. Well, they're probably equally crap. But if I'm going to take a person, I'd much rather take the person who's at least going to finish something that's crappy than someone who just starts things and just never finishes them all. Because at least you flex the skill and the resiliency of finishing things. Because that's a tough thing. That's hard. Yes. Especially when it goes against all of your natural tendencies. I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take it. Excellent. So congratulations for building out crappy things. Thank you. A lot of crappy <laughs> things. Yes, exactly. Uh, you talk a lot about thinking small as well and that we have a tendency, especially as men, to set goals that are too big. Shockingly, ego, machismo, all that crap get in the way. And the ladies listening are probably nodding their heads like, yep, that guys always do that shit. Uh, yeah. The idea of dreaming big is really nice. I like it, uh, but you kind of touched on this before. If you haven't had many slash any wins, you're kind of just setting yourself up for failure. To your point about females saying, yeah, it's about ego and machismo and ha ha ha, they're right. That's very true. I mean, they're right, but here's the actual uh, issue that females have. Females have the tendency to never set an actual outcome goal themselves. They think about the process stuff and tasks and they're great at building out to-do lists. Typically, I mean, of course, this is a broad sweeping stroke, but they rarely ever set the big outcome goal. Now, the guys, they set the big outcome goal, and it's typically more than they can chew off. And there's a study done by uh, UK-based uh, Quirkology on you know verifying that very thing. And so what we're trying to do is set smaller goals. Think smaller. And that's why we go to that two-week sprint thing. What is something that you can do right now today that is going to be highly leverageable, meaning that the resources, the skills could be the money, could be the time that you have right now is best invested 
and making an immediate impact on where you're at. So many people start working on things that aren't going to ever make an impact on today. They think about these grand ideas and these grand goals. Oh man, I want to own a, a big yacht. It's okay to dream that way. But here's what I know. Really wealthy people, rich people, successful people, they never think that way. They're usually thinking about what's the, what's, what's the need in the marketplace if they're an entrepreneur? What's the need in the marketplace that's right now that I can go and solve or I can build a team around me to solve? They're thinking about building value. And this is the thing that people have been force fed is they keep on being force fed this fork food, fork full of food called success. And, you know, typically people who are doing really well, they focus on value. That's interesting. Why do you think that's the case? I think it's just, I think it's just, Honestly, so many times when you take a look at the words that we've become enamored with, they've just sort of picked up a lot of steam and become a part of our everyday vocabulary when really we're talking about something completely different. You know, success is shorthand. The problem with the word success is it's been co-opted by the idea of money. And, you know, when, when typically when say, oh, that person's really successful, immediately someone's head goes to, oh, that means they have money in their back pocket or they're rich or they have a big bank account. You know, they don't go to, oh, that means that that person probably serves a lot of people in their local area and might be helping homeless people. You know, that's not how people naturally think. And, you know, we have this celebrity world that's around us now and we're only inundated with this idea. I mean, they just came up with a, um, a statistic a little while ago on the number one uh, goal or vocation that young children in grade school right now want more than any other is they want to have the job of being famous. What? Yeah, that's their oh, job. That makes they want me to be, so they want to have, sad. They want to become famous. Oh, that's terrible. When in my day and age, when I was I'm not going to date myself, folks, but um, it would have been an astronaut. It would have been a fireman. It would have been a cowboy, something like that. Now it's being famous. And so that's why I think in, and Einstein had this great quote. He said, do not become a seeker of success. Instead, become a person of value. And when I heard that, it was actually that quote that changed my vocabulary. I'll admit it. I never, I mean, in any of these things, a lot of this stuff is hard fought at intellectual property. Like it's taken me a long, a long while of having really great mentors and coaches kind of smack me around a little bit and, you know, move me in the right direction many times or taking a lot of action and, you know, closing feedback loops, so to speak. But that idea of becoming more valuable, because here's the thing, there's this big concept out there of, oh, that person has a fear of failure or that person has a fear of success. But if we took out that word success or failure, and instead we inserted the word value, no one ever has the fear of being more valuable. That's a good point. No, no one, one ever has I mean, the fear of being more valuable. That is a really good point. And so even earlier, before we even started the, the interview, you and I were talking about just you know, improving skills and you were talking about you know, getting um, you know, voice lessons or speaker training and just continuously upping your game. And that's, you're doing that through the lens of how can I become even more valuable? you know, a better communicator to people so that these ideas that I come up with have a greater impact on really piercing through the hard shell that people have of resistance and change. But is there a way that I could possibly improve my skill set so that I can be of more value to those people? That's what, that's the lens that you're looking at it through. And so I look at you and you go, Jordan, he's successful because his mindset is set towards becoming more valuable to his people. Not, you didn't talk to me about, dude, making so much money right now, I'm just going to go and buy this brand new lake house. Or I got these 10 new jet skis and they're awesome. It's just not how people think they're yeah. at the top levels. I, I noticed that a lot in LA because the, the people I thought were successful and then turned out not to be, they all exhibited these patterns. Because of course, I'm trying to look for ways to catch a bullshitter in the beginning, right? Sure. And what, some of it has to do with the way people qualify themselves. But even in LA, people are so insecure that even wealthy people sometimes do this thing where they qualify themselves and they, they keep talking about their crap. Uh, but one of the things I noticed was a lot of the people that were fake wealthy would be like, oh, yeah, I've got a blah, blah, blah in my house. I've got a cold thermogenesis chamber in my basement. I've got <laughs> this and that and this and my view overlooks this. And I've got 
this and everyone loves me and this person was at my party. And I'm like, you are renting that house and I, I'm going to prove it. And I go on mm-hmm. LexisNexis and find out you're not the owner. Uh, and, you know, stuff like that. And, and I'm like, oh, okay. And it, it always comes, it often, I should say, comes down to qualifying themselves because some of the people that I know that are really wealthy, that are like shocking, especially the younger guys who you didn't see it coming because it's like you're 27 and you're worth $10 million. You don't know that many of those people because there yeah. aren't that many. Whenever I meet those guys, and you and I know one as well, I won't mention his name on the show because I'm not sure how, how open he is about, about this stuff. I was like, this guy's kind of a, you know, young dude. He's, you know, he's successful, but maybe just relative to his age. And I started, I met up with him in San Francisco and I was like, just blown away by how nice he was and how much stuff he wanted to create. And he was renting this cool Airbnb and he had all these entrepreneurs over to just sit around and BS over ideas. And he had hired a chef to sort of like cater this dinner. And it was awesome, right? Mm -hmm. It was really cool. And I was like, ah, this is a real successful person because he's focused on like, how am I going to change the world? How am I going to provide value? How am I going to do this? Whereas somebody who just has money or, or maybe didn't even earn their money and is faking it, they're always like, look at my new toy. Look at my new toy. Look at yeah. this new thing I have that show that proves that I'm not what I always fear, which is broke and un- irrelevant or unimportant or uninfluential. Yeah. Well, they have a tendency to shine the light onto other people. You know, it's it's not it's that one of those things that yeah. Well, you know, even when I mean, I feel and I'll admit it. I mean, I sometimes I feel uh, um, uneasy about getting compliments, and that's that's a Todd thing. That's not anything else. And I'll you know I I have uh, probably a, a a good way of handling that, but I'd much rather, well, you know, yeah, I'm pretty good at that, but you know, who is really great at that, or you, you got to meet so-and-so cause they're phenomenal. I, I, I love the idea of shining spotlights on other people because in, in my world, relationships are the most important thing I want. I want to accumulate and not just for the sake of accumulating, but I want to have, uh, just a whole, library of great relationships people that when they walk away from you go you know what that's 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 a good dude or that's a good person or you know i'd like to get them i'd like to get to know them better i you know that was a five-minute conversation i wanted a 15-minute conversation excellent well thanks is there anything that you want to leave us with that we haven't gotten to i know we've been dealing with like sirens and phone calls and helicopters (laughs) and it's like it's like we're recording this in a world war ii trench somewhere this is New York City. There's so much happening here that no one's going to... That's what I love about this town. No one waits for Todd Herman's podcast interview with Jordan Harbinger, okay? Um, but uh, you know what? It would just If I left people with anything, it's that you know it's okay to feel a little bit crappy sometimes. And it's okay. You're normal that way. It's okay to have a ton of self-defeating thoughts sometimes. But what we don't want to do is just sit there with them and have those things define us. Um, If there's a metaphor to leave this podcast with is those are just clouds. Go and fight a cloud and see how it responds. It'll just let you do it. And that's what people are doing. They're getting so wrapped up in some sort of negative idea of themselves. And it's really just a cloud. It's a passing thought. Every single person deals with them. It's just see them, see yourself as something bigger than that. And you're the sky and you can do so much more than just what that one little thundercloud might be doing to you intellectually. Thanks so much, man. Where can guys find more from you? Or are you just like flying below the radar these days? Uh, total enigma. You can't, you can't touch me. No, no, no. If you want to find out more, they could go to uh, toddherman.me. So toddherman.me, T-O-D-D-H-E-R-M-A-N. Um, I'm starting to actually put more stuff out there in the, uh, commercial world and sort of peeling myself out from behind the curtain, uh, to, to serve more people in the, in the public space. Thanks so much, brother. Excellent show. A lot of good stuff here. Awesome. Well, thanks, Jordan. Getting in the zone when you need to always fascinating. The power of negative thinking, not something you hear about too often and how high performers, real legit high performers really operate. And of course, negative preparation, all very interesting concepts that now you have these concepts in your arsenal, along with the uh, Spanish royal family, the NFL, Real Madrid, and the NHL, and a lot of other folks. Todd, seriously, he's very under the radar, but uh, he's in about 20 of the Fortune 50 companies, not the Fortune 500, the Fortune 50. He's delivered to hundreds of thousands of professionals in more than half the countries on this earth. So we are stoked 
to have him on the show. So I hope you guys dug this one. Of course, show feedback and guest suggestions. This show's a fanarchy. It's run by you. We rely on you to help keep our finger on the pulse. If you know someone who's a good fit, let me know. I'm Jordan at theartofcharm.com. And if you dug this, don't forget to thank Todd on Twitter. We'll have that linked in the show notes as well. Bootcamp live program details for The Art of Charm at theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp. And remember, subscribe to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. And of course, we have our iPhone and Android apps available wherever you find your apps as well. And you can help us by reviewing the show in iTunes. Give us a five-star rating. Write something that helps us get past all this riffraff that's now coming in there trying to trying to outshine what we do here at AOC. And, of course, it makes me feel really proud as well, so I appreciate it. Special thanks to the Jasons for their help in production of the Art of Charm podcast. Tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else either in person or shared on the web. To so have a great week and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com. 